0: Welcome to Family Bible Hour, a broadcast of the Sunday morning worship services of North Florida Baptist Church in Tallahassee, Florida. The uh, title of the message is God is Truth, and our text is from Hebrews chapter 6. We're going to be looking at verses 13 through 20. According to a Christian author named Joshua Harris, he uh, I think Josh Harris is one of the guys on Deadliest Catch too, but uh, <clears throat> but that's not this person. This is a, a Christian author. And uh, <clears throat> he knew a girl who thought literally thought that the stars above were tiny specks of light just over her head, just out of reach. Uh, she uh, was a very intelligent girl. She was in college and smart in most ways. But one day in a conversation, she mentioned that she had just learned that the stars in the sky were actually really, really far away. She hadn't known it prior to that. I don't know how she hadn't known it. But uh, when she was asked what she meant by that, she said, you know, they're not just right up there. Uh, They're not just tiny dots. They're really, really far away. What did you think they were before? she was asked. I thought they were just above us, just tiny dots above us. And that's hard for us to imagine somebody being that so naive, especially somebody that's um, <clears throat> that's bright. And I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if that's what you've always thought. But uh, <clears throat> Harris goes on and makes a wonderful observation about what this, this girl had thought. He said, her simple discovery of the wonders of the stars give us some insight into why it's important to know the nature of God. What she discovered about the stars made it important for her uh, made it important uh, uh, for her to be able to comprehend the heavens. Here's what we want to know about God today. We want to understand that God is true, that indeed God is truth. And it's worth knowing that the stars are not tiny dots above our heads so that we can appreciate the heaven. And it's worth knowing the greatness of God so that we can appreciate the attributes of God. When we know the truth about God, it fills us <clears throat> with wonder. If we fail to understand his character, we will never really be amazed by him. And God is an amazing God, and we should be amazed <clears throat> by him. We will never feel all that small if we do not appreciate how great he is. We'll never really worship him as we ought. We'll never run to him for <clears throat> refuge or realize the great uh, love that he has shown in <clears throat> measureless uh, distance as he, uh, as he bridged to rescue us. If we fail to appreciate the greatness of God, we'll fail to appreciate all of the attributes. Last week, we shared with you that God's Word is truth. There is a reason for that. It is because that God is truth. Now, here's how it's stated in the book of Hebrews. This is our text, Hebrews chapter 6, beginning in verse 13. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear... He guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, for we who have fled from refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place beyond the curtain, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on behalf, having become the high priest after the first order of Melchizedek. In a speech made in 1863, Abraham Lincoln said, We have been the recipients of the choicest bounties of heaven. We have been preserved these times, these many years, in peace and prosperity. We have grown in numbers, wealth, and power as no other nation has ever grown. But we have forgotten God. Now, <clears throat> stop just a minute and understand. That was in 1863 that he said that. But we have forgotten God. We have forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us. And we have vainly imagined in the decept- deceitfulness of our hearts that all these blessings were produced by God. Some superior wisdom and virtue of our own, intoxicated and unbroken, uh, intoxicated with unbroken success, we have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace. Too proud to pray to the God that made us. Now imagine, if you will, taking Abraham Lincoln with his view of America in uh, eighteen what did I say eighteen sixty three. His view of America of 1863 and sit him down in the America of today. What would he say of the America of today? If he had that observation of the America back then, what would be his observation of the America today? Here's our problem in America. We have no concept of God in America, or very few have a concept of God. Here's here's what's at issue. Instead of a God concept most of our country has a God complex. Most of our country think that somehow or another they are God, or they can evolve to make God-like decisions. One thing is, is sure, when death comes, the truth of God is acknowledged by everyone. There is not one person who has died that didn't acknowledge God upon death. They just absolutely acknowledge God it's a privilege and it is a blessing to see the, the greatness of God in this life. And as we approach the message today, what we're trying to do is to see the greatness of our God. And the first thing to realize that God is truth is to understand this, that God is of unquestionable authority. Now, That would not set well in the vast majority of the gatherings in the United States of America today. Quite honestly, that would probably not set well in the vast majority of churches in the United States of America today. Because a lot of churches have taken it as their role to question God. We have not taken it as our role to question God or to confirm God. But to believe God, because I preach the word, I'm not confirming God. God is confirmed before I ever open my mouth. And I'm certainly not questioning God because God is of an unquestionable authority. Sometimes when we need an authority higher than ourselves, we go to somebody that can back up our our claims or solidify our situation. If there's an automobile accident or some other encounter uh, with another person, that's not easily settled, here's what we do. We go to law enforcement to confirm that, uh, that encounter we've had with the other person. Very important to have a police report filled out if you have an automobile accident. For a young person to be able to carry out certain decisions or make major purpose uh, purchases, the authority of a parent or a guardian is needed. I recall when I was younger and, and my dad Uh, helped me to get a car, and and, uh, I remember that I couldn't carry out business without my dad's authority. I needed the authority of my dad, just like we might need the authority of a a police officer. However, when God saw the need to confirm a promise to Abraham, he did not go to a higher authority to, to approve or to confirm the authority that he had. In verse 13 and following, it says, For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. Now, there's two kinds of promises that people can make, or two kinds of oaths or Or uh, allegiances, if you will, guarantees that two people uh, can make. First of all, there is a conditional and there is an unconditional. A conditional promise requires something by one party in order for the other party to uh, carry out what they say that they will do. If you uh, buy a house, you make a conditional promise uh, to the uh, mortgage holder. The conditional promise is that if I pay my bills, on time, you will carry this mortgage until I have fully paid the mortgage. At the end of the mortgage, (coughs) then you'll relinquish the mortgage and the house is mine. Now that is a conditional contract or a conditional promise. And a mortgage lender signs off on it (coughs) and you signed off of it and you have a contract, you have a promise that is based on the terms and conditions of that document. There are a lot of things (coughs) that work that way by the terms and the condition of a document. That's a conditional promise. What then is an unconditional promise? An unconditional promise requires nothing from the promised party because the fulfillment of it rests with the one who's making the promise. In other words, I'm going to make you this promise. What do I have to do in order to have this promise? You don't have to do anything. I'm making you this promise. This is the way that the promise is going to be. This is my promise to you. Some of you moms, when, uh, You held that baby in your arms for the first time or you held that baby in your arms in a quiet moment and you looked at that baby. Whether you said it out loud, you said from your heart to that child, I'm going to love you and I'm going to love you forever. Uh, Forever and ever. Amen. I'm going to absolutely love you. There's nothing that's going to stop me from loving you. I love you. Now, those children oftentimes uh, hurt their parents hurt their mom, hurt their dad. They make very bad decisions. And you can go on and on and on with the problems of having a child. There are a lot of problems associated with having a child. Yet, uh, typically, and it's on a rare, rare, rare occasion when the mother stops loving the child. Typically, the mother says, I'm going to love you no matter what. You can't stop me from loving you. Now that's pretty much an unconditional love and an unconditional promise to love. God says to Abraham, I'm going to make you a promise. And it is an unconditional promise. And by the way, it's a good thing it was an unconditional promise too. You know why? Because the children of Israel have just really been a horror uh, in regard to the way that they have (coughs) treated uh, the God of Israel they, they, uh, he came into his own, that is Jesus, and his own received him not. That was the children of Israel (coughs) rejecting Jesus Christ. Yet that did not change the promise of God to Abraham. Why? Because God is a, gave an unconditional promise and (coughs) he has the unquestionable authority to be able to do that. In Hebrews, uh, excuse me, uh, Genesis chapter 22 and verse 17, I will surely bless you And I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. Could any created being make a promise like that? Absolutely not. I'm often dismayed at decisions that are are made by government because a decision is made, even a well-meaning decision is made. And then somewhere along the way, that promise goes awry. Let me give you a a for instance. Because North Florida Christian School is a ministry of North Florida Baptist Church, and because I'm the pastor the leader of the the ministry and, and other things, North Florida Christian School is under the leadership of the church, so ultimately it's under Pastor Ray's leadership. Now, as such, here's what a lot of people expect from me. A lot of people expect me to be a very... Strong advocate of school vouchers. A lot of people, a lot of you, are really for school vouchers, and I don't mind you being for school vouchers. Now I'm not telling you that school vouchers are the devil. I'm not. I'm not saying that. Because here's what I believe: I believe that people that are trying to get school vouchers are good-intentioned people. I believe that that for the most part, they have realized that that these are our taxes that that we're paying, and these are our children. And that we have the right to educate our children and that we should be able to take those tax dollars and direct them toward the education of our children. I believe those people that, are, that are, have over the years advocated and formulated those things for school vouchers, I believe that they, they believe that. However, here, here comes the problem. <clears throat> the problem is that the initial promise can never be the ultimate promise. In, in the kind of country that we have, the kind of uh, uh, political system that we're in. And the reason is because the people who, are, uh, who have been able to successfully make that promise of school vouchers will eventually term limit out, lose an election, whatever it may be, and then a whole different kind of people will be in, sc- in charge of the school voucher system. And then what will happen with the whole different kind of... Of people in charge of the school voucher system well very simply what will happen is this they will say in order for you to be able to utilize a school voucher you've got to send your child to a school that uh, well for instance you've got to send your child uh, to a school that will not have prayer sectarian prayer in it because uh, this is government money it's not government money It's taxpayer money. It's our money. But what I'm saying is eventually they'll say you can't send your child to a school that has prayer in it. And the reason you can't send your child to a school that has prayer in it is because all schools then are now government-supported schools. Here's here's what else they'll say. You have to hire gay teachers. You you have to support the gay agenda. You, You have to do that. <clears throat> and if you don't support the gay agenda, you'll not be uh, allowed to have school vouchers. Now, <clears throat> I could go on and on. You say, but wait a minute, that's not the intent of those people that have the school vouchers. I understand that. And I, I think the intent of those people have, that want school vouchers is good. I don't think it's bad. I think it's good. I just think they, they don't, what they need to do is to walk around in the shoes of somebody that's leading a Christian school. And understand that with the doling out of money comes problems and the right to control and, and the right to change. And, and so I said all that say this, that it's only God that can make an unconditional promise. It's only God that can say, We're, I'm going to make this promise. I'm going to give this to you. This is what's going to happen. And you absolutely will get what I am offering to you. There is no greater authority than God. It's just hard to make a promise that will be kept perpetually. However, God made a promise and guaranteed it by no authority but his own. Now, why is that? Because there's no higher reference than him. There's no one higher than him to refer to to say, this person will make sure that I keep the promise. Again, Genesis 22 and verse 16, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sands, he's talking to Abraham, and as the sand that is on the seashore and your offspring shall possess the gate of the enemies. By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord. It used to be that we took everybody at their word. At least we took most people at their word. You, you remember those days? Some, some of you have not lived in that day. And I feel bad for you. I really do. But it used to be that, that we, that's the way that we did it. I mean, I remember. I, don't you all remember when the milkman used to come and sit the milk in a box outside the door? <clears throat> don't you all remember when, you know, and you can go on and on <clears throat> with those kinds of things? We had a dry cleaning guy. We had a dry cleaning guy that would walk inside of our house. We had a place where the dry cleaning would be hung up. He would walk inside of our house, hang the dry cleaning up inside of our house, walk back, get in his truck and leave. I mean, that was, that was the day in which we lived. We, we just people lived by their word. There's still some people you can take at their word. But quite honestly, we have become a people of convenient truth from the lowest in the land to the highest office holders. There is a coloration of fact to suit the situation. And, and we have grown so accustomed to that, that we defend it. Well, here's what they're trying to say. And so we defend the coloration of the truth in order to fit the situation. In, this, in, in part of this series, we're definitely gonna be dealing with the importance uh, of, of our own and probably the next message we'll deal with the importance of our own truthfulness we have become dishonest folks we've just become dishonest as a people as christians we've just become dishonest we absolutely will make promises that we know we're not going to keep we will absolutely enter into contracts that we know we'll not fulfill We absolutely will not just tell a white lie, we'll tell gigantic whoppers in order to be able to cover ourselves in whatever situation. God's not like that. Uh, The matter of suspicion has become so bad that many people ascribe to God the same distrust that they have for anyone else. However, when God made a promise to Abraham... Deciding to seal it with a sworn oath, he did not invoke the name of anyone else. I swear to you by the sun in heaven, Abraham, wait a minute, I created the sun. Okay, I swear to you by the stars above. No, I created those two, that's the sun's one of them. Uh, <clears throat> I, he, he didn't have any reference. <laughs> his, his reference was him Self, and so what he said is, by myself, I have sworn. It's just me. It's just me. I told you one time about going into a bank in Chattanooga when I was in seminary and borrowing $500, which was a whole world of money back then, borrowing $500 in order to buy into an afternoon paper route so I could make a living for. For Mrs. Ray and myself, as I was going through seminary, she was doing some teaching there. And I walked into that bank, never been in that bank before, didn't have a dime in that bank. I walked into that bank, and I sat down with a young man, and I said, I'd like to make a consumer loan. And he said, well, what do you need? And I said, I need $500. And he said, well, okay, Uh, do you have a credit history? I said, really, I don't, just got married. And he said, "Um, do you have any collateral? And I said, well, we got furniture, but it's early attic. And uh, there's, you know, well, do you own anything? I said, well, my wife owns wedding rings, but I don't think that'd be right. He said, no, that wouldn't be right. And he went through a whole series of questions. And he he looked at me and he said, Mr. Ray, I I need to ask you a question. And and I'm serious about this. He said, you don't have anything. You don't have a house. You don't have a car that you own. You don't have, you're paying on a car and you probably owe more on that. And you, you don't have anything. Yet you walked in here, this bank, you don't even have an account in this bank. And you asked me for $500 for you to, to uh, get a paper out. Why should I loan you that $500? I did something that day. I never will forget, and I don't think I've done it since, and I don't think I could get away with it. I looked at him, and I said, Mr. So-and-so, I want to tell you something. I don't know if it's going to mean anything to you or not, but I am a Christian, and I am a good man. And I'm the last of nine children, and I was raised by a dad whose word was his bond. I went to work when I was 14 years old. And if you will loan me $500 to get this paper route started, I will pay you back and be one of the best customers that you've ever had during my time in seminary here. He laughed out loud. And then pulled out the loan papers and wrote me a loan for $500. You say, man, he was crazy. He probably was. But some people, and by the way, did pay him back, obviously, and, and early and all of those kinds of things. And when I left seminary, I went in to see him. And uh, it was a wonderful, a wonderful, uh, wonderful parting. But God didn't need anybody else. He was the highest reference. He needed no further proof. Take a look at this verse in, in 15 again from our text. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. God made the promise, so Abraham, what did he do? He just waited it out. He didn't check with other people to find out if there had been any signs of the promise. He just waited it out. What do you think that kind of faith did for him? What's the benefit of Believing God even when it doesn't seem like he's coming through. Aren't there times that you believe God but it doesn't seem like he's coming through? What's the benefit of that? Isaiah said that. In Isaiah 40, 31, But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. The the fact that God is truth is the basis for all of our hope and our faith in this life and the next. God is an unquestionable authority. And the reason he is an unquestionable authority is because God is truth. Here's the second thing not only does he have unchangeable authority, but he is an unchangeable or an uh, unquestionable authority, he has an unchangeable attribute. In fact, all of his attributes are unchangeable. Verse 17, so when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. Now, I don't know why God decided to swear an oath. I really don't. I don't. The, The text said that he wanted to be more convincing to the heirs of the promise For some reason, they felt like they needed an oath, and so he, he gave it. I'm not sure. I'm sure that we could do a Bible study on why, but I don't know why. What I want us to focus on is that twice in these two verses, the Bible says that God is unchanging. And By the oath and the unchanging nature of God, the writer of Hebrews takes heart. He said, I take heart by these things. We call the unchanging nature of God, in in theology, we call that word immutability. He is immutable. immutable. Sometimes young people think their parents are immutable, that they're unchanging, but they're not. Parents change, all parents change. And God doesn't change. We are born to change, but the unchanging nature of God means that what was true and the truth of Abraham is now true and truth to you and to me. God never stopped being truth. God never stopped being relevant. And again, because of the cynicism in our world today, there are plenty of people who doubt the truth of God, but He is still the truth. We measure the world by the God of truth, not the God of truth by the measure of the world. But that is not what we're doing in our world today. We are measuring the God of truth by the changes in the world. Here's what that means to you and me. All of the attributes that God ever had, he still has. To the degree that he's always had them. He still has the same measure that he's, uh, that he's always had. God has not diminished one tiny measure. Now I've been your pastor 21 in February, it'll be 22 years. Now i want to tell you something. I have diminished some. I have, a, I have a problem with my right shoulder that I never had uh, when, when I came here uh, 21 and a half years ago. If I put a, a microphone beside this shoulder and I did my arm up like that, you'd hear my shoulder clicking, just like a uh, popping your knuckles. You'd hear my shoulder clicking. Now there's a reason for that, and the reason for that is because I came here at 42, and today I'm 63. <clears throat> I change. I told some young people in, in, uh, just outside of Nashville not too long ago, I said, look, when you're in school, there's something that you really need to study. You need to study science, and you really need to study gravity. And the reason you need to study gravity is because you're going to become an object lesson. <laughs> <clears throat> Things change. Things always change. I'll tell you somebody that doesn't change and has never has changed is his God. Let, let's just go through a few of his attributes, not many, but just a, a few of his attributes and see what has not changed about God. The Bible says that God is love. That's an attribute of God. We'll be talking about the love of God in this truth, love, and worship series. That has not changed. God's love has not diminished or changed or twisted or done anything. It, has, it hadn't grown. God's love is not any more today than it was when God first loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God's love, it hasn't changed. God is is still faithful. He is absolutely faithful. That has not changed, not one little bit. God is still holy. We're not very holy, but God is, is holy. God is still wise. God is all wise. God is omnipotent. That means that God is all powerful. When we were children, we sang God can do anything but fail. God's still that way. God is all-powerful. God is omniscient. God knows all things. All things. I'd love to see God on Jeopardy. (laughs) Alex Trebek would just drop his jaw if God was on Jeopardy. This is God. God is omnipresent. Sometimes I wish that that we had that attribute, that we could be omnipresent. So that on holiday weekends, you could go away and be here. (laughs) But God is away with those who have gone away, and God is here. God is sovereign. I love, I, I saw this the other day, first time I've seen it really described like this, The sovereignty of God, it said, God is totally unconfined. Wow. Think about that. Totally unconfined. That's who God is. That's who God has always been. And the reason that God will continue to be that is because God is unchanging. He is immutable. And that list could go on and on, and the implications just become more and more uh, powerful, The writer of Hebrews gives us something to hold on to in light of God's truth and God being truth and God being an unchangeable truth. And in God's immutability and in God's being true, we have this final thing to which Larry uh, sang this morning with that wonderful song. We have an unfaltering anchor. That is the final truth. Sometimes we're, we're called upon to encourage someone else, and it's not always easy um, to encourage somebody else because we're not sure that we've helped them. I, I received a phone call yesterday from out of town, um, out another state, and this person left a message for me. I picked up the message. <coughs> I answered And and the person basically made a statement like this. Pastor, I am really, really hurting. And I need to talk to you. This is a friend of mine, not a church member, a friend of mine in another state. I am really hurting and I need to talk to you. I called my friend back. I said, hey, what's going on, buddy? And he began to explain to me a situation that he found himself in. He's a good man doing good things, trying to do the right things. And he found himself in a a situation where, well, you you could say it this way, that the good he's trying to do is being evil spoken of. That's not exactly the way that is, but you could say it like that. And uh, he said, Pastor, I just don't know what to do. And he said, I didn't know who to call, so I called you. And so I sat down and talked to him for uh, a period of time. And and then at the end, and the whole time I was talking to him, I I was feeling inadequate. The whole time that I had him on the phone, I'm thinking to myself, are you you saying the right things to this guy? Is this what he should hear? Is this what what the, the advice that he ought to get? And I thought that it was, I felt that it was. But at the end, here's what I said to him. I asked him this question. I said, does this help or does this confuse the issue? I say that all the time. People come to see me and, and they, you know, I, they ask me, they said, do you do counseling? I said, no, I don't do counseling, but I'll talk to you as your pastor and try to help you if I can. And then, because I, I'm, I don't consider myself a qualified counselor, I'm not a qualified counselor. But I'm, I'm your pastor and your friend. If you need to talk to me, come and I'll talk to you. <clears throat> but usually what I'll do is I'll ask at the end, did this help you at all? Does this help the, just the, the least little bit? Now, I've never had anybody to say, no, that was terrible. <laughs> I, you're, you, are just, you need to go in another business. <laughs> you really stink at this. I've never had anybody say this, but I felt like there are people who could (laughs) have said it and just didn't. But I asked the guy yesterday, I said, and and I will say this, this person of all people would have come closer to telling me, well, that really wasn't what I was needing than anybody I know probably. But he said, yeah, you know, this does help me. It, It does help me. Now, I have to ask those things. And the reason that I have to ask those things is because when somebody comes to me and they say, could you find something that will anchor me in this difficult thing? A lot of times I think my anchors are faulty anchors. God's anchor is not faulty. God's anchor is true, always and forever true. here's the final truth to consider. If we know Jesus, we know God, because all of God is wrapped up in the person of Jesus and who he is in our lives. Jesus said, uh, in, in John eight nineteen, they said to him, where is your father? And Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. In John chapter 10, verse 30, Jesus said, I and the Father are one. Here's what I'm saying to you. That when God is truth, we understand that all that is God is truth. God the Father is truth. God the Holy Spirit is truth. And God the Son of God is truth. He is truth, Jesus is. Most of you know that I've spoken in a lot of different countries. And in these countries, I typically need a translator to convey the message. I speak to you, and hopefully, you understand the message. But usually, when I'm preaching in another country, and, and there's a non English speaking country, I will stand here, and the translator will stand here or here. And. His job is to convey my sermon to the listeners. He is not at liberty to embellish or subtract from the message. When the, the really good translators, and I've had some really, really good translators, the very best ones I've had are in Romania and Argentina. The translators that I have in those two places are just unbelievable. Unbelievable. But when I speak and if I make a hand gesture and if I raise my voice they will speak and make a hand gesture and raise their voice just exactly as I do. They literally translate the words and the emotions of what I have uh, to say. Here's something that would help us to understand God. God. As Jesus walked this earth, he was translating God all the time. Because he is God, he was translating God all the time. When God got louder, Jesus got louder. What do you think got into Jesus and made him go in the temple and turn over the tables of the money changers? I'll tell you what, it was the God Jesus that did that. God was getting loud. When God gestured, Jesus gestured. He, Jesus, is so in sync with the Father and so in sync with the Holy Spirit that he and the Father are one. They are three in one. John 14, 11, believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. If you know Jesus, you know God. There's three, two things, and I'm done. First of all, Jesus is truth. We've said this multiple times. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Once you find Jesus, your search for truth is over. Now, you might need to learn more of the truth, but your search for truth is over. It is there. It's wrapped up in Jesus. And then finally, Jesus is your anchor. The question that I have for all of us here on a Memorial Day weekend is, are you sure you're anchored in Jesus? Are you sure that your anchor is in Jesus? If it is, the anchor will hold in spite of the storm. I pray that today when you think of the truth of God and the majesty of God and on and on it goes, you'll understand that the immutability of the fact that God is truth will set a course for your life and can set a course for your life where you can always find your way and you never have to run. You've been listening to the Family Bible Hour, a broadcast ministry of North Florida Baptist Church in Tallahassee, Florida, with your speaker, Dr. Randy Ray. Visit us online at nflchurch.com. Dr. Ray invites you to join him next week for the Family Bible Hour.